as we get started, there's a question that we have heard constantly in our lives. How many parents have asked that question of their kid? Okay. How many kids have heard that countless times in your life? What were you thinking? That's usually in response to something that you did. Okay, something that you were not supposed to do, but you did it anyway. Uh, parents are quick to remind you of your training. You were trained not to do that, uh, to respond that way. Um, it could be anything from running around with scissors in your hand as a little one, or uh, putting that hand on that hot stove top, burning your fingers, or getting caught jumping on the neighborhood uh, garages that uh, somebody called mom on said, hey, come get your kids. They're jumping on roofs down the, hall, uh, down the street. That was me. That was me. Mom came down in a moment. Surprise, it was all five of us. We were running up and down about five garages that were connected. So it was about maybe a foot and a half jump from roof to roof. I don't know why we did it. We did it. So mom came down with her handy belt to correct that discipline problem. So we ran home and quickly put on extra clothing because we knew we were going to have a discipline moment in life. She wasn't going to wait for dad. But she also said, what were you thinking jumping on roofs? Well, we were running and jumping off the edge. We were landing in grass, mom. It was okay. It was only eight, nine feet tall. It was something to do. That's kind of how Paul is doing this with the Galatians. We go back to uh, verse 1, chapter 3, and he says, You foolish Galatians. Same that, same that tone of saying, What were you thinking? You have the gift of everlasting life through Christ. You have given that up and taken on the Jewish laws that provide you nothing. What were you thinking? You are better this. That's the question that we're going to do. This passage is actually number six in eight questions and um, illustrations that Paul is sharing with the church at Galatia because he's trying to get the point across that you don't need anything but what you have been given through Christ. So he rebukes them through this process for their foolish exchanging the faith that is in the gospel for the works of the law. And then is reinforced by, as we look through chapter 3, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 7. Um, so let's go to that passage. It says, <clears throat> what am I saying is that as long as an as heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. Though he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time is set by the father. As also, when you were underage, you were in slavery under the elementary spiritual forces of the world. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so are you no longer a slave, but 
God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir as well. When we look at that passage, there's a lot of things that kind of jumps out. So these are a few things I want to at least explore a little bit. As we move from slavery to freedom, from slave to son, the contrast is presented in, this, in the previous chapter that Philip and Brian has worked on previously in chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. There's a new relationship that we looked at in verse 26 through 29. It's now clarified with an illustration that is quite... It's one of those illustrations you think, how do you get this? Where, do you, where did he come from? Does this explain precisely what God is trying to get across? And I think it does. Because we were slaves before. They were slaves before to the law, but now they are sons of the Father with receiving full rights at the age of maturity. Now, slaves are like conditions of the sons when they were still minors. It's described and applied to the human condition. When we stop to think what adoption really is, in the Roman time period, you were not considered matured until a certain time after the father had been determined that you were trained right. You had all the expertise and understanding necessary. He would employ guides and guardians and teachers to train you from a small child to that age of maturity. Now, in the Jewish culture, it was when you had the bar mitzvah at age 13. You then would be called mature, a man in the the family. Today, we don't really do that. I guess when you turn 18 and you graduate from high school and you have a driver's license, you are now officially called an adult. Okay. But there is a passage. But between the birth until that moment, you are basically under control of others for the process of learning. In this part, he says <clears throat> in chapter 3, verse 24 to 26, says, spans the allegory of the child of coming of age, contrasting believers' life before salvation as children and servants with the life after salvation as adults and believers. Now, when we look at verse 1 in that passage, uh, the Greek word refers to a child too young to talk, a minor, spiritually and immature, not ready for the privileges and responsibility of adulthood. In Jewish society, it was age 13. When we move to verse 2, the guardian and stewards are slaves entrusted with the care of underage boys while stewards manage their property for them until they came of age. Along with the tutor, daily caregiver, they were almost completely in charge of that child. So that for all practice, a child under their complete care did not suffer, did not, does not differ than a slave. When you thought they corrected bad behavior, they learned, um, they, they couldn't do anything on their own. And the father said, look, this is what I want done with my child. I bring in the guardians to oversee that. Even though he is still heir coming into the state of his father, his father says, you have this time period to grow and mature 
so that when the time is set, you become adult and you will have full rights and responsibility. So as we look in verse 3, when we, when we were children in bondage, before our coming of age, we came to saving faith in Christ. The elements of this world, the elements is a Greek word that means rank. It's used to speak of basic foundational things like the letter of the alphabet. In light of the use in verse 9, it's used, it's best to see, it's used as a reference to the basic elementary and ritual of human religion. Paul describes both Jewish and Gentile religions as elementary because they are mere human, never rising to the level of the divine. Both Jewish religion and Gentile religions center on man-made systems of work. Philip talked a lot about that last week. We were filled with laws and ceremonies to be formed as so to achieve divine acceptance. As such, rudimentary elements are immature, like behaviors of a child under bondage of a guardian. We move on. The sending of God's Son to liberate slaves and make them sons is announced. This is a great passage. In the fullness of time. You might ask, fullness of time? You mean God had a plan? Yes. He had a plan on his timetable when exactly religious, cultural, and political conditions demanded by his perfect plan were in place. Jesus came into this world God set forth. As a father set the time for the ceremony of his son to be coming of age, and being released from the guardians and trustees. So God sent his son at the precise moment to bring all who believe out of bondage of the law, a truth that Jesus affirms repeatedly. John 5, 30, 36, and 37 says, has testified, for the work of the Father has given to me is finished. The very work that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has given, testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, but does his word dwell in you? For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that them in turn you have eternal life, but they are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to have life. John 6, 35 says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. As those the Father give to me comes to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me. But raise them up at the last day, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that day. We see later in John chapter 6 and 8 and 12, various other verses, that the Father has sent Jesus into the world, teaching his preexistence as the eternal second member of the Trinity. God had specific time in place. Religiously, it was the right time. Because after the Babylonian capture and 
uh, return from Babylonian captivity, the Israelites finally earned, understood that reason that they went into so many cycles of sin and disobedience and, and punishment was because the idol worship. They finally understood that. And so when they have returned back from captivity, that's one thing they did not fall back into. They actually started realizing that they didn't need the idol worship. So it's complete, and, and at that time, the complete Old Testament was assembled by the prophet Ezra and others. It now helps to proclaim the entire gospel message. Culturally, it was the right time because a common language was uniting so many different countries at that time. With the start of Alexander the Great and the Greek language that's permeated throughout the area, it was used for all the known world at the time. Later, it, it became the Roman Empire and Latin that took over that. The Roman Empire continued to use that when they came in power because they had great road system. There was stability in the country. Um, there were free travel. Because if you look at the New Testament, especially in the, uh, chapter 6 of, or 1st through 6 of Acts, you see how the movement of people throughout that. You see Paul's three different missionary journeys. You see how other disciples migrated freely to other places, taking the message. So there was a lot of stability there. There was a lot of freedom, a lot of economics. It was the right time politically. The Roman Empire instituted the Roman peace that brought stability for economics, political, your safe travel throughout the land. And even today, their awesome road network reached from Britain all the way down to Israel, into Africa, to the east. We don't know how far, but a good distance away. It was a perfect time that God said, now is the time for my son to come. We look at also in that passage, born of a woman. Emphasizes that Jesus' full humanity, not merely his virgin birth, you know, based off of Isaiah 7, 14 and Matthew 1, 20. Born of a woman points to the incarnation and full humanity of Jesus. The Son of God was sent to be one with us in our humanity. He was also God's Son, and he was Mary's Son. The one and only God-man. Jesus had to be fully God for the sacrifice to be infinitely worth needing for atonement of sin. But he was also made fully man so he could take upon himself the penalty of sin as a substitution for man. And in essence, that one passage sums up the gospel message. He was born of a woman. It was under the law. That passage deals with, like all men, Jesus was obligated to obey God's law. Unlike anyone else, however, he, he perfectly obeyed the law in every element that was needed. We find that in John 8, verse 46, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Hebrews 4, 15, 7, 26, 1 Peter 1, or 2, 22, 1 John 3, 5. His sinlessness made him the unblemished sacrifice for sin, 
who perfectly obeyed God in everything. That perfect righteousness is what helps us because it fulfilled the requirement. Verse 5 still talks about redeem. Redeem is a neat word. It's a Greek word that means to purchase a slave's freedom. Christ purchased our freedom from slavery to life everlasting by giving of his life. To those that are under the law, guilty sinners who were under the law's demand and its curse, only saving faith unlocks the present door where the law keeps men bound and in need of a Savior. And then we go from a slave to the sonship. Adoption is the act of bringing someone else, uh, is someone else who is the offspring of another into one's family. We know people that have adopted children from around the world and brought them into their family. They have full rights and, and responsibilities and privileges because they're in that family. They are, they are brought up just like anybody else in the family. Since people are... are since, that we have, since they are adopted, they have all that is. They're equal. When a son is adopted in the Roman Empire, he was in all legal respect equal with those born in the, his new family. He had the same name, the same inheritance, the same position, and the same rights as the natural-born sons. God sent his son, who by his divine nature was a son of God, in order that we, who are not his children by nature, may be his children by adoption and receive the full rights of sons. We have the same name, the same inheritance, the same position, and the same rights as one who is a son of God by virtue of his divine nature. In the last two verses of that section, uh, 6 and 7, we have an intimate relationship with the Father. How do we know that? Because it's the Holy Spirit's work. When you go back and look at that passage in that, because you are his son, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls us, calls out Abba, Father. It's the spirit. The assurance of salvation is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit and does not come from human source. This word Abba is only used a couple times. It's Aramaic term of endearment for the Father. And I think the fathers in this room understand when you hear your child call you father or dad, it dwells up that emotional base in your life. You realize, wow, he is or she is my child. There's like something about that. You dwell on that presence, just as Fred mentioned in his uh, uh, talk a few moments ago. There's something about hearing your children talk to you. The witness of the Spirit also convinces us that we are sons and daughters, children of God. Sons and daughters are no longer held prisoner by the law. You find that in verse 23, chapter 3 of Galatians. No longer under the supervision of the law, verse 25. No longer subject to guardians and trustees, verse 2, chapter 4. Sons and daughters are free from the control of law. This does not mean that sons and daughters are free to do anything. 
They are now under the direction of the Spirit. And we go into verse 7. Then a heir through God. The promise of joint inheritance with Christ, everything Jesus possessed, God has given to us. The promise of inheritance is a promise of the Spirit, Paul says in chapter four, or 3, verse 14. Paul reminds those believers at that time, when they did not know God, they were slaves to, to which by nature were no gods. Before they came to Christ, their religion was that of works. They were slaves to various man-made gods, and they were actually no gods at all. The unredeemed were slaves, not only to law, but also to idols. That's a quote done by John MacArthur in one of his commentating. So the question is, what does that mean to us today? Oops. I guess I added something in there. I forgot. To... Okay. Application. <laughs> what, is it that, what does it mean to us today? 2018. It means the same thing that it meant to the church at Galatia. We are not going to become like the Galatian church by adopting something like the Jewish law. Of course not. We won't be doing that. But it does open us up to the same question. Have we adopted something else that results in the same issue that Paul has talked about here? There were other false religions out there in the world that are continuously enticing believers away from the true gospel with something else or in addition to Christianity. We should believe the truth that we are the children of God with full rights, privileges, and responsibilities, and benefits in our lives. Or have we come like the Gent- uh, Galatians, the Gentile believers there, by adding something to our freedom, which is actually causing us to go back under man-made laws and rules? Have we submitted ourselves back under the law of works to achieve the holiness of life? Next week, as we continue with this passage, we'll be looking at 8, verse 11. I'll give you a quick synopsis of that. While salvation is the free gift of God, it brings with it serious responsibility. God requires believers to live a holy life because he demands that. It's, his, it's our responsibility. God requires believers to live a holy life because we are his children of a holy God and desire to love and worship him. The obligation was to unchange moral and spiritual principles that forever reflected in the nature of God. However, it did not include the rituals and ceremonies unique to Israel under Mosaic law as a Jewish Believers, false acclaim, or others may, may man, other man-made rules. Such as the health and wealth gospel that we hear constantly in our airways. People say, you're, you're suffering because you haven't fully gotten God's blessing. So you send me $100, I'll make sure you, God blesses you. I don't remember that in the scripture anywhere. Or in the late 80s, there was a second blessing movement that said you only have a bit of the Holy Spirit you didn't get everything when you became a Christian you got to do something else and get the full spirit 
And so if you do this and this and this, you'll get the full spirit and you'll truly be a, a child of God. Again, it's heresy. Again, it's wrong. Because God said he gave us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything that Jesus possessed, we now have asked, access to because we are children of God. The inheritance is there. There's other religions out there that are presenting themselves as Christian, but are false man-made belief system that is opposing Christ. There are some that are very evident. There are many that have fallen. There is a stat that there's a lot of Baptist members that have walked away from their faith in Christ to join another religion because it's a man-made work. If you do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, you may get in. You, may get, you might just be one of those lucky few that get over that finish line and get into heaven, but no guarantees. But you still got to do this and 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 this. And oh yeah, we got, we got this, those things. Oh yeah, here's another list of things you got to do. If you fulfill that, you may get across that finish line when you die and go into heaven. That is wrong. It is not a series of works. It is a faith in Christ and only a faith in Christ. If somebody comes to say, well, Jesus is a good teacher, but, you know, not quite. You need this other thing. We see that constantly in our lives. We know family members and friends who have given up their life in Christ to go after something else, thinking that that will give them what they are looking for. They have put themselves back under the law, which Christ has gotten them out of. Why would you do something like that? The question is because they don't understand. They have not read the scriptures and studied to know what type of responsibilities and rights and privileges we have in Christ. They haven't spent the time to know that. So what we're going to do in the coming months in the next couple of years, one of the ways we're going to help you understand what you have received in Christ. We're going to have start with a new class next week on Christianity and cults. We're going to reflect on what we have in Christ, reflected against all those other religions that we are facing. Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Islam, Mormons, Seventh-day Advent, Jehovah Witnesses. All those are a man-made work belief system. They refuse to acknowledge Christ as the Lord and Savior. Coming this fall, we will provide two different opportunities for you. We're going to provide a basic foundation class, a year-long different courses that you can take, video streaming course. We're also going to do advanced, more of a seminary-level understanding, stuff like systematic theology. Uh, theology that makes you dig deep in your faith system and scriptures. There will be Wednesday night Bible study that Pastor Brian will be doing. There will be other Bible studies throughout the week that we will offer, as well as our 9 o'clock Sunday school slash fellowship slash Bible study time. We want to train you up because you understand that you have full understanding of what you have been given as an adopted son and daughter in Christ. 
And then coming in fall of 2019, we will roll out our phased discipleship program process. There you'll have opportunity to take specific courses for six to seven weeks long, a variety of courses that will help you, challenge you, and to grow in, in the knowledge and wisdom of God. I want to end with this. Don't be deceived by Satan who roams this land like a lion seeking who he can destroy. Don't let him take you for... Don't let him devour you as dinner. You are much more than that. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't be that lunch. Don't be that dinner for him. Stand firm in Christ and understand what you have been given. We are adopted into the family of God. What a great opportunity that is. We need to to understand that and share that with others. So let's go to prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we stand in your midst realizing that you have given us your name. You have given us a family to belong to. A holy, righteous, perfect family. Because it's your son who has made that possible. You searched for us and you found us. You, you gave us an opportunity to come to know you. And just as the scripture says, you have given your spirit to us. That's our Father, our reassurance that we are one with you. Throughout the New Testament, Father, you have constantly reminded us if we are with you, we're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things come forth. We are called brothers and sisters of the Most High. We, Father, you have given us so much. But we do realize, Father, that we are lazy when it comes to our faith. We're overwhelmed at times, unexpectedly challenged in our faith in you. When others come and say, that's not enough. It is enough. It's everything we need. Because it's based in you and you alone. Not in what I can do. Father, I am just a shell of a dust bowl. It's you, Father, who has given me life and breathed your spirit into my soul. It's you who has loved me, who formed me, who knew me before I was formed in the womb. It's you who has called me to your side. Father, there are many of loved ones and friends who have given that up. Father, we pray for them. We pray that you open their eyes 
Help them to find you again. To see the, what you have given them. May they be like the Gentile believers who resisted that and turned back to you. Father, we as believers in your family have a responsibility to them. A responsibility to share with them from our hearts and from Scripture what it means to be your follower. What it means to be in the God's family. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us correct words to say, wisdom to know how to say it and how to proceed. That they too will come back. We pray, Father, for those who have never experienced this opportunity of knowing you personally as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Father, that you give us boldness of the Spirit. Words that can't but leap out of our mouths to share the good news no matter what opposition we may face. Because it's our responsibility. You have given that to us. Because you say you want to work through us for us to be a light under this world and a insult to this world. To be your, your walking billboard, in a sense. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your spirit. The spirit of the living God who lives in us, who helps us to understand and to learn and grow in maturity and faith in you and all righteousness. And Father, we humbly come before you and just praise you for that. We thank you that you constantly reassure us that we are your family, that we belong to you. Thank you, Father, that we no longer live under that guilt or death, but we live in hope and a new life. Father, I praise you that though I have a physical family of many, I have a spiritual family of countless. I praise you, Father, for each and every one of them here in this midst. Praise you, Father, that you have brought us together, a small part of the, bio, of the believer's body, that we encourage one another and support one another and pray for one another and help physically with needs in our lives. I think you brought all of us here for a purpose and for a reason because your perfect plan is action. Father, I pray for protection of our souls, of our minds. For we know Satan roams like a roaring lion seeking those to devour. And we're constantly confronted, Father, when people say our belief system is outdated. How can you believe in a a God that no one knows? And we do know you, Father. I have had the privilege of being in your family, Father, for over 40 years. 
You have given me all that I need. You have encouraged me at times and strengthened me at times, chastised me at times, corrected me, just as a father would do. Some days, Father, I struggle to remember those lessons, but you are gentle (coughs) and kind in helping me. I pray for the family of believers here and those that are in, in all the places around this world, that you are uniting us as your family. Help us, Father, to stand firm. Help us to stand strong in the face of opposing forces that we find. Help us to correctly handle your word as you share the good news of Christ. As you are praying, if you feel you need to come to the altar to lay down something in your life, the altar is open. If you need, if you feel like this is a place that God's calling you to be a part of by joining in with us, we are, we are pleased to receive you. Whatever God is talking to you right now in your life, respond to it. You may just need to sit there and and pray for a few moments, and we will give you that. to him who holds the whole world in his hand, who has called us to holiness and righteousness. Unto him we give you praise and glory only because of Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen.